0: Hi, thank you for tuning in to the Finding Harmony podcast with me, your host, Harmony Slater. Well, hello, hello, hello. Welcome again to the Finding Harmony podcast. Today, our guest is Sophia French. We're going all the way over to India to speak with beautiful Sophia, who has a so much wisdom to share, just like her name, Sophia, in Greek means wisdom, but she is not Greek. She is indeed fully Indian. Uh, we're going to learn all about her family, her history, and how she ended up moving to Mysore and living there for the past several years, as well as her own um, experience growing up in India and and how she sees The philosophy and the culture blending with yoga, philosophy, and culture. So we're touching on a lot of different subjects here in this podcast. And I know you're just going to love meeting Sophia and hearing what she's up to in India to support yoga practice and Indian culture. And a quick reminder that my Inner Circle membership is open, so jump on inside um it's a great place to get support to be able to ask your questions i know a few of you have joined already and i am so grateful and i'm excited to support you through the second half of 2022 can you believe it we are on our way we are heading into the second half of the year and i want to be here for you and help you in your practice help you in your personal growth And just support you in any way that I can. And the Inner Circle membership is really the first step to getting that kind of um, support and using the resources inside the Inner Circle membership, whether it's the live classes, the pre-recorded classes and meditations, or the conferences, um, the WhatsApp group where you get to ask questions, or any of the other resources, a private Facebook group, Lots of things are going on, as well as special discounts and things to upcoming workshops and retreats that I offer online. So it's great to become an Inner Circle member, and I invite you to join me. Check out my website, harmonyslater.com. You'll find all of the links there where you can connect with me and become an Inner Circle member for the next half of 2022, or for a whole year. There's annual membership, or you can join for six months. Thank you. And here we go. Let's jump into this wonderful conversation with Sophia French. Hi, welcome to the Finding Harmony podcast. Today, I'm joined with Russell (laughs) Kaye's He's laughing in the background. No, and... it's just
1: amazing. You go into this contralto once you're you're ready to start the podcast. Well, that's because I'm
0: recording, and it's
1: so professional. It's so beautifully done, and I just wish I could slide into professionalism, but I find it so difficult, madam. It's
0: a practice I'm, like anything else.
1: I'm uh, so tied to irreverence. Yeah. I can't escape it.
0: Well, we all have our vices.
1: Speaking of irreverence and vices, could we have a guest today. So. Far- Sophia French, calling from Mysuru, Karnataka. How are you, madam?
2: I'm good, and thank you so much for inviting me to this podcast. I'm very happy to be here. Namaste, everyone.
1: Namaskara. Uh, madam, I I think most of our, our listeners, especially Martha in Florida, would have thought that Sophia French was possibly an Irish yoga student sounds, visiting India.
0: It sounds both Greek and and I don't know French,
1: perhaps. But, uh, yeah. She is. Sophia uh, is a very
0: Greek name. Though, perhaps she it? is uh, Hellenic. Hellenic
1: in yeah. origin.
2: Tell us about your name. <laughs> so, tell you about my name. I'll have to go back, maybe I think three generations, because uh, I have a very sort of mixed family. And um, um, yeah, so the French surname is actually an Irish surname. Now, I don't know the history of why. French is an Irish surname, but as I mean, from what I learned from my grandma, who I used to talk to a lot about why we have a surname like French, the story is my great grandfather was an Irishman who was working in Burma, and that's where he met my great grandmother, who was Burmese, and uh, they got married, and then my grandfather, who was Burmese Irish, because of that union, right. Um, came to South India, because he was also working in Burma. He was working for this company called the Burma Shell Oil Company that used to work a lot with India. Mm. So on one of his visits to South India, my grandfather met my grandmother, who was South Indian. So that's the Indian connection. Mm. And he moved to India to be with my grandmother. And then my father was born. So my dad was Burmese, Irish Indian. And then he (laughs) married my mom, who's Muslim. So I'm a product of all of those unions and the French surname comes from them and uh, from there. And Sophia, because it works both as a Muslim name and a Christian name. So the Muslim side of my uh, family says Sophia and the Catholic side says Sophia. So that's the history behind my name. Oh, that's so
0: beautiful. Wow.
1: Something like a name like French, I'd have to think that it was a A Frenchman who found himself in Ireland and they just called him French.
2: Probably. <laughs> I don't know, but someone should look into that. It's very curious. And I really want to know how why there's like a French surname in Ireland. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's normally how that kind of thing happens. You it's know? like a
2: nickname that becomes
0: like a like a yeah. last name.
1: Yeah, you get you get people, you know uh john john england for example right. there's lots of names for like english. that john english you know yeah. just because they lost his his last name and they said well what was dad's what was granddad's last name it like, I don't it's like english english he was english <laughs>
2: yeah. so yeah maybe something like that happened and then yeah. my great-grandfather mr french ended up in burma and it all started from there
1: i think you're french sophia That's <laughs>
2: we go back far enough there's some French in there yes, you know around. I tried I tried to study French I, I was just so bad at it I couldn't pronounce a single word properly and my French teacher she just refused to teach me after a while oh
0: dear she was just <laughs>
2: disappointed with, with, with my lack of respect for the pronunciation so she's like no this is not for you despite your name so I had to accept this
1: God, that's <laughs> so spite damning. your name,
2: I love that. That's <laughs> so
1: damning. It's interesting, you know, uh, in studying Sanskrit and, or, and also in studying French, what I was always surprised by is how different, um, from what different part of the body I had to speak. Like I was really very, I felt like very much, I was a, very aware of my tongue when I was speaking or trying to speak uh, Sanskrit. Whereas when I was speaking French, I always felt like I, I had to speak from my, my belly in order for it to sound right. And I think it's very interesting. I think it, that would change, change a person if they had to speak from a different part of their body. The whole personality would change.
2: I agree. It's, I mean, I, most of the language, I speak three languages, but they're all Indian languages. Like even my English is a very Indian English. You know, we've been (laughs) speaking English for so long in India. Now we have our own version of it. Like with any (laughs) language that's spoken globally, every part then, you know, it's spoken in every place develops its own sort of version of that language so but I speak Indian languages so I can't I mean I don't know and and most of them are very similar like Hindi Gujarati the two regional languages that I speak at least so
0: yeah yeah. that's that's amazing though I think it's it's incredible in in um, you know when you're born in like it happens in Europe a lot you you know you're forced not forced but people just learn multiple languages because of the closeness of the different countries. And it's similar in India, right? Because each region of India has its own dialect and its own language. And so, so many, I mean, most Indian people I know at least speak two or three languages.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's more than one way of speak, uh, speaking, even just Hindi, you know, from north yeah. to the south, and there's different words, there's different slang. So, but right. that's, I like that about India. I love the diversity of language and yeah. language carries culture. So it's, it, it also showcases how culturally diverse India is.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's also like, I think it's such a beautiful symbol too, of, of, like you were saying, the diversity in India it shows up in the language, it shows up in the culture, it shows up in the faith. And I think it makes, for the most part, like a much more open kind of receptive mind to differences.
2: Yes, that's true because um, you had asked even, we. I think we had this discussion before, of course not on a podcast, but um, it's not just the language, but also the food, the people, everything changes from state to state. So there's also a little bit of tolerance. But on the flip side, people also tend to get a little bit possessive about their culture. Because then you feel even though we're Indians, we're still invading your culture, even though we're all part of the same culture. So like with everything, it's good. And there's a little bit of bad.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it is yeah, a I, little
2: bit. But, but I, we learn to live with it. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I love like, uh, I remember, um, you know, when we were in Mysore in Karnataka, and they have a certain type of uh, Italy, you know, it's like, always a particular size, for the most part, a particular shape. (laughs) And then you go to um, Tamil Nadu, and then they have these little mini Italys, and you can't really get the big ones, just like the little small ones. (laughs) It was just such an interesting um, example of exactly what you're saying that that everything's kind of similar, but each region has its own particular, um, you know, flavor or like way of doing things that's very unique um, to that area. And they're very proud of it, I think.
2: Yes, they are. But I think that's also what makes India so unique. There is a lot of pride in, in, in our culture, you know, regardless of which part of India you go to, it's 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 yes, it's a very colorful country. It can also be a very confusing country, but that's part of its beauty, I guess. <laughs> yeah.
1: Mm. You know, the, the the funny thing about Canada is you know and it's true for the Midwest of the United States as well. You could drive for 15 hours, you know, a hundred miles an hour. And you just end up in the same place,
0: <laughs> pretty much.
1: And these people are speaking the same, dressing the same, and going to the same Walmart. And maybe the only difference is, if you were in Montana, you could buy an assault rifle. <laughs> That'd be the only only major difference
0: between Canada and
1: the U.S. Just if you drove in any direction, oh, you yeah. Know. <laughs>
0: South.
1: Um, but you know, it's it's I I it's also I think really interesting to me. Like when you speak to a Canadian or American, very often. Um, they might say something like uh, you, th- th- they don't feel like they have much culture. And I think what they often mean is that they don't feel like uh, they have any color or any, you know, they have a hamburger and a pair of jeans from, from China, but they don't have any culture. And mm. you hear <laughs> that quite often.
0: Yeah,
1: And I, I, I think it's confusing because I think sometimes it's the absence or the reversal, you know, like, because I've said to your friend once, Harmony, when we first met, that a canadian is there's no one more canadian than a canadian (laughs) 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 they're the most canadian people in the world the canadians and they have a uniqueness Mm -hmm. and i think people often confuse culture for culture uh color for culture
0: right or like um it's hard to see your own culture i think that's the thing it's like When you're American or Canadian, it's hard to see your own culture because you're kind of surrounded by it, like Mm. from every direction near Mm. and far. But in India, like you're saying, Sophia, you're in like one, if you're in one area, you don't have to go that far to be in a different culture, even though you're in the same country
2: yeah, I mean, I just have to drive for a few hours and I could be in Kerala, then which is again completely different. I could drive a few hours, I'd be in Tamil Nadu. It's it's, yeah, you can move around. and then North India is a completely different planet, at least in the <laughs> South. it's somewhat similar, but then you go to North India and everything changes. You go to East India, it's a completely different gene pool even sometimes. So cool. but yeah, okay. that's India for you. Yeah, and it's, I mean, geographically, it's so diverse and different too, which is really
0: like unique because you kind of see how geography makes um, like the personalities a little bit of of the regions.
2: Absolutely, in fact, this is something Sri Aurobindo has written about in his book, Synthesis of Yoga, you know, how the uh, nature determines the culture, the mindset, and the personality of individuals. So in India, for example, because there's so much warmth, there's abundance, you know, our sense of hospitality and things like Aditi Deva Mm. Bhavo, where we think guest is God, comes from that sense of abundance, because nature is always so willing to share. And that Mm. kind of, you know, became part of the people's culture and personality. And it's very interesting. It's it's all, in fact, part of yoga. It's a very interesting book, (laughs) Synthesis of Yoga, Sri Aurobindo. I'm reading it right now, which is why I'm talking about it. And what you said just reminded me of that.
1: Yeah. Uh, it's so interesting because my uh, my feeling about nature is that when I step outside, it's it's constantly trying to kill me. Um, <laughs> no. Can you talk about I'm, that different perspective and, and how
0: it feels bad for you? Now.
1: Well, you know, I appreciate your <laughs> compassion. That's fantastic. Uh, just you know, I have to constantly be aware that it's, you know it wants it wants me dead, and
0: no, it doesn't. It does.
1: It really is trying very hard. The sun hurts. The the little you know. The winter hurts. I, we walked in the grass, and we were covered in these little needle things. That were just, <laughs> it was just horrifying. <laughs> um, can you talk more about that perspective that nature is always trying to give? And can you also maybe talk about your why and how you became interested in tree
2: Um, As far as nature is always trying to give, at least that's the way it is in in certain parts of India, except maybe not in Ladakh, which is a bit of an extreme climate, but it's just an abundant country because whether you go north, south, east or west, you know, we have an agricultural history, there's farming culture, Mm -hmm. so people are used to living with nature and in I don't know, in, you, in harmony with nature, for lack of a better word. And <laughs> Sri Aurobindo, I became interested in, again, because of my interest in yoga anyway. And I love Indian philosophy, and I'm constantly reading up on Indian masters. But recently, I, I mean, I got this book because uh, the place where I currently work, it's a nonprofit organization called Indica Yoga. And the director of Indica Yoga, Dr. Vinay Banavati, who I work with, Uh, gave a recent talk on the work of Sri Aurobindo during the International Day of Yoga. And that talk really inspired me to look more deeply into the work of Sri Aurobindo. And that's why I'm reading this book right now. Because I, I truly feel that ancient Indian masters and their guidance is something that we can all turn to at any time, even though modern yoga may or may not be at times authentic so it's it 's always nice to go back to the masters because these were the people who sort of set the path for us you know paved the way for modern mm. yoga in many ways
1: i was I was recently reading a, um, I think a, a commentary on Vedanta and the Vedas and uh, the Rig Veda and I, th- I thought one of the f- most fascinating things about what I was reading is um, about the ancient Vedic masters is there a sort of sense that what's more important than than anything else is awareness and awareness of our sense of being in the universe awareness of our sense of being in in as beings and so much more the 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 culture was devoted to that that unlike say other cultures there is there's less edifices to the self like you don't have these, um, say, like in Egypt, these giant statues of a, of the of the pharaoh. What you have are these these inc- these incredible texts, because of the mm. of the that particular culture's uh, value for awareness that, that was so much more important. And and so I think that's an, that's an incredible that the that a, a culture would be so interested in awareness
0: and like self realization and
1: self realization that you wouldn't even have um, a, a pyramid, you know. Mm-hmm. You, all what you have instead is is a shruti and and uh, memorized text right. as a as a recollection of that culture. If, am I am, am I making any sense at all?
2: Absolutely. Yes. I mean, and that's just, I mean, I guess it's what India is known for, right? Our spiritual culture. And it's not just one, there's so many lineages. It's such an ancient country with so many ancient masters. So in that way, I think we've really been blessed. But again, you know, there's no copyright or ownership on spirituality. These masters, they were subjective scientists, they were subjective scientists, and they've designed these many methods and these techniques for the liberation of all humanity so I think that's something that should be celebrated and if you are someone who is spiritually inclined there are so many ways and methods and paths that you can choose to follow so that's I mean that's something I'm very proud of as an Indian that that is the culture I come from I'm happy that I was born here because I have such easy access to it um, despite everything that may be going wrong in some ways in the yoga, you know, the global yoga community, I think as Indians, we have an opportunity to change that. And that's mm-hmm. also in a way, it's like how Vedanta helps you understand, you can take anything and turn it into a positive. It's, it's about inner personality development. And I think if we focus on just those parts of yoga, there's really a lot of hope and a lot of potential of how this practice can bring about change on a global scale. But then we all, everyone who practices yoga needs to unite and sort of work towards that idea. I think right now, one of the problems with the global yoga communities there's a lot of division because mm. of these many lineages. And I really hope and pray that we can transcend that and just understand that we're all part of the same consciousness, which Vedanta teaches, which yoga teaches in different i mean the two schools differ in 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 some in, in on some points but the you know the, the larger idea is the same so coming from a country with so many ancient indian masters i think it's india if if you really sort of go into its history and follow yoga the way it's supposed to be followed, I think it can bring about a lot of positive change in the world, not just in one country, because that's the purpose of practices like these. It's for all humanity, regardless of where it comes from. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, where it comes from must be respected to maintain the authentic teachings and so that they don't become diluted because if an experiment is not followed, it will not be successful.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's such a good point. Is that sometimes we're I think American culture, um, North American culture is very interested and obsessed with innovation and creation of newness of new things, and it's and also of um, the attachment of like the personality or the the ego to the um creation or the innovation and so but that's that's what i'm
1: i'm saying is that in if in our in our culture that we're Mm -hmm. arising out of harmony we if if we're interested in edifice Mm -hmm. and monuments to the self yeah that's quite different from going to a place in in gokulam where the point is awareness yeah so you're going to project onto that experience of ashtanga yoga Oh, how can I make a monument to myself in this room? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's, or, or how can I take this this thing that's old and ancient, or you know, has some some lineage or some heritage to it, and then like like make it better, innovate it, right? I need a like which a is, giant pillar. Yeah, which I think is actually quite different than I'm going to say a more traditional um, approach to yoga, and even like a more sort of um, traditional. I'm going to use. The, that word in a sense as opposed to a modernized Indian viewpoint which I feel like is very much colored by by the west but like if you go back uh, before like this blending of of east and west and all of our cultures kind of mixing together so much (laughs) I think a more sort of traditional Indian viewpoint is like that that true knowledge like that true dharma that true um like truth and satya and and all the stuff that that was heard the the um the shruti uh comes from a source that's beyond human and so that's why you get like the dating of texts wasn't important attaching your name wasn't important um because like you're saying sophia the knowledge belongs to everyone and it's for everyone and and then there is more of also a sense of of taking your ego or your personality out of it so that you're saying I'm only passing along what I've learned from my teacher right and so you're kind of stepping out of the way of that transmission or that line of transmission a little bit yeah you're a, right that, that's it yeah
2: yep.
0: it's like it's very different like we were talking a little bit earlier about about cultures and it's just like such a it's like the reverse cultural approach like from the East or from the Indian sort of perspective versus like the the new world, right? The Western, like America, North American, Canada kind of perspective. We have, there's like, it's like opposite, like an inverted triangle. What is the Western perspective? I think it's more um, like you want your name attached to something and you want to figure out what makes your approach unique so that you can um, like Russell was saying, like kind of build uh, a
1: giant phallus for yourself, <laughs>
0: yeah, some or kind or of uh, image or, or company yeah. or approach mm. or method or, you know, and put your little trademark on it mm. and then sell it to other people. Like I've, you know, innovated this thing and now it's unique and you should
2: come learn from me. Yeah. Okay, um, I, honestly, I don't know what to say. But you know, you can't do that with <laughs> spiritual practices, because that defeats the whole purpose of I mean, if, if it becomes for just one person, then it, it is not redemption for all humanity, right? Or liberation or whatever word you want to call it. It's that is ego acting at a very base level. It's not ego yeah. acting at a very superior level. And when I say superior here or self love here, I don't mean vanity. I mean, love and compassion for all sentient beings and living things in general so so yeah this, this this it's it's very interesting and tricky how the ego can convince us that i mean even now when people talk about yoga look at the end of the day this practice existed long before us it's going to ex- exist long after us Mm -hmm. So when people start thinking they become guardians of a practice or a certain, you know, spiritual technique, you're just fooling yourself and that's a delusional mind and a mind that has delusion cannot be liberated because uh, liberation is understanding reality exactly the way it is. And again, liberation is a very lofty word, but even if you want to progress on the spiritual path, you have to keep it real and you have to tame your ego, and that's not going to come with trying to possess. It comes with freedom. Yeah. yeah well, I the a
1: deluded mind cannot be liberated. What a fantastic quote. Yeah. That sounds just like Montana. <laughs> oh, God.
0: We apologize to anyone in Montana listening we, well, to this podcast. it's just Pegmo Queen,
1: right? Peg is listening. <laughs> yeah. She, I'm. She is liberated. So that's,
0: <laughs> She's bringing. Uh, she's uh,
1: bringing the light. Awareness to Montana. To Montana. Yeah. <laughs> A, that's the whole. That's the whole um, crux of the of the uh, the culture conflict in Yellowstone is the is the By
0: hippie hippies, hippie the yoga teachers
1: in Billings, Montana. That's
0: right. Forgive
1: us. <laughs> forgive us the these witticisms, Sophia.
0: Tell us, Sophia. Mm-hmm. You know you have such a love and passion for yoga and spiritual disciplines, sadhana, um, and meditation practices. How did this all come about? What was it like growing up in India and what was it like um learning like how did you come to learn about yoga? Was it something always in your family or I, did you I just want to say
1: every person that we've interviewed from India has been from Hyderabad. There's really? no no one else. We There's should, no other person. We we should should so cool. <laughs> it's amazing, but every single Indian woman has been from Hyderabad. <laughs>
2: well, Hezabadi women are very, very amazing. Yes. <laughs>
1: Tell, tell us how, uh, t- why is Hyderabad the center of the Indian universe? I,
2: I don't know, actually. It's, 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 Hyderabad also has a very interesting history. Um, But uh, growing up in India is actually, I grew up, I, I mean, I was in India only till I was nine. And then I was in Dubai for 10 years. So my formative years, like in my teens, I was in Dubai. And I only got into yoga when I came back to India for college. Mm-hmm. I think I was in my final uh, year of college when a friend took me to a yoga class. And that's just how it all started. It was an asana class. It was an Ayangar teacher and a very fantastic one of uh, uh, Yogacharya BKS Ayangar's direct students, uh, Shri Kobad Varyava. He still teaches in Bombay, brilliant teacher. And, and it was him. It was the teacher that made me want to keep going back. And I was very lucky to have such an amazing teacher. That was my first asana class. And then I just, I, I stuck to it. But for the longest time, it was purely asana. And, and, and I'm glad that it was because I think that's a stepping stone for, you know, the more I wouldn't say intense or deeper because asanas can take you to, to, to some very deep uh, places in your mind as well. But yeah, for the first 10 years of my yoga practice, I was only doing an Ayanga practice with the same teacher. And then I had to move from Bombay, which is why teachers and schools changed. But that's how it started. So... Asanas happened when I was in my early 20s. And then uh, around five years ago, six years ago, I had the good fortune to live in in an ashram on the banks of the Ganga in the Himalayas. And that, I think, in many ways is when I really started practicing yoga in its truest essence, where it, it became something that was more than me. I kind of got over myself and I think I grew up in that ashram. There was just something about the Ganga, the mountains, the way we were living, our our quality of life. It it remains one of the best months I've spent in my entire life as far as my mental, physical and emotional health is concerned. It's, It's the way of life from when you wake up at six in the morning till you go to bed at night. You're employed doing various productive things and that ashram life is is what expanded my practice. It's when I really became interested in yoga. I was introduced to the Bhagavad Gita, to Vedanta. And from that, I started learning more. Meditation, it it was the biggest thing that came to me from the ashram. And that is now my primary spiritual practice. It it was, yeah, that was the gift the mountains gave me, the gift of meditation. So that was very special.
1: It's it's really interesting because that's uh, so much in line with how we learned in Gokulam was that, our teacher always always said to us you should you know take 10 15 years practicing asana before attempting meditation and you hear many different uh, voices on this on this subject because people say oh asanas you know superficial you just you should you know meditation should be your whole purpose but our teacher would say you know meditation is crazy making unless you can sit properly for meditation. Otherwise, you're only thinking about your knee, you know, your knee in pain. Is, that's the, the constant refrain that he had. I wonder if you can speak further about this and, and how, how did meditation and why is meditation now your primary focus?
2: Um, I agree with, with your teacher. It's very true. I think asana is extremely important for a strong mind and body concentration, your perseverance, endurance, all that comes with asana, but not like to compete in a sport. Obviously, why are we why are we practicing asana? Whatever stillness, whatever concentration we develop. I realized that if it was not for asana practice, I don't think I would have understood meditation or the subtlety of meditation, because when we meditate, whether it's whether you're doing the Ramana Maharshi, you know, the self-enquiry meditation, whether it's chakra meditation, whether it's vipassana, any meditative practice requires one, A, you have to sit still in the same pose. That's, again, something we learned from asana practice, at least in the Ayangar school, you know, we're really made, made to hold the post for a long time, how to sit with a straight spine, the importance of spine and align, alignment is across asana schools. So, yeah, I do think asana practice is, is a very important foundation to uh, pursue I won't say higher practices, but more subtle practices, because to say higher means asana is not at the same level. And it's really not like that. You know, every part of your spiritual journey is important, even the foundation. That's the most important. So, yeah, I would say asana is the reason I could sit in my Vipassana practice for eight hours a day without moving. If it wasn't for my asana background, I don't know if my body would be strong enough to understand that. I don't know if my mind would even understand the difference between a gross thought and a subtle thought. So that movement of gross to subtle is is, is a very beautiful transition when you move from asana to meditation. It's, it's a very, very beautiful segue. So yeah, those are my thoughts. And yes, I would encourage people to please practice asanas. Don't make it your entire spiritual purpose. But it's okay, even if you don't have that spiritual purpose, because asana in itself has tremendous benefits. You know, we're all not on the path to become enlightened Buddhas. It would be great if we were, but it's okay if we're (laughs) not. You know, eventually we'll get there. But, But I do believe that meditation, at least for me, has worked. A lot more than asana practice because again it's about expanding consciousness it's about understanding the mind it's about moving inwards and i found a lot of that in vipassana there was peace and i think that was lacking in my practice before that there was a lot of turmoil in my mind but vipassana brought me peace Mm -hmm. and and for me personally that was very important because i do have a temper problem i've always been hot-headed too much Uh, ruling planet is the sun and all Mm. that so vipassana and meditation calmed me and i think that that's why Mm. i'm I'm, i i practice it so regularly and i still practice asana that will never stop because the two accommodate each other and suit each other beautifully
0: yeah i love that you um said that you know that it's not so much about like a higher practice or um maybe even a deeper practice you know but but being able to pay attention to like a subtler movement of energy. And I think that that's kind of the distinction, like at different times in your life, maybe the mind is very gross and it's very, and by that, I mean, like very much, um, needing to be dispersed into, you know, the affairs of the world and all the things around you. And so the mind is in a pattern of being very, busy or very much involved in things outside of yourself. And so then, you know, the practice of asana becomes essential because your body is a gross object and just paying attention to the sensation of the body and the movements of the body is going to help to bring the mind in closer to yourself at other times. You know, maybe the mind is more immersed in the self and it's more embodied in your body you know, maybe it's life situations, maybe who knows, right? (laughs) Things change. And then, then those movement, then that movement of your mind can move to even more subtler and subtler aspects like the breath or the energy, or like you're saying, the difference between types of thinking, types of thought, the qualities of nature, all those gunas, the qualities in your mind, the qualities in yourself. And, and then from there, you can just keep moving to subtler and subtler Realms, but it's it's really the practice that that is gonna help to draw you into yourself. And for somebody that's very um, external in their focus and needs to be very external in the focus or has even just a pattern, like at the beginning of your yoga journey, when you're not, you know, you haven't really thought about yourself um in the sense of like embodiment or subtle energy or your connection to god or others or whatever right you you don't have that acute awareness then austin is a great place to start because it's going to help to develop the awareness and as the awareness develops then you can become aware of um you know more subtle movements of energy the vibration um, you know, the quality, the feeling, the sense, all those things. And so I just love that that's, that's the distinction rather than like a higher or lower, sort of like, a, um, like absorbed or not, you know, or less absorbed, like, you know, sort of it's a more horizontal kind of understanding rather than a vertical understanding.
2: Yeah, because no one practice is better than the other, because no one mind is better or worse than the other. Some minds might be sharper, some minds might be dull. But, you know, it's, it's, it's very unfortunate when, and this is, I really think, a problem with current day yoga, is there seems to be a lot of division between schools and competition and unnecessary conflict, which is the opposite of what all of us as yoga practitioners should be doing. Because I mean, if we can't even agree with each other, how are you possibly going to create positive change, you know, in, in the society you live in, in the nation you live in, in the world you live in. So I think there's, there's a need for more peace, for more understanding, for mutual respect, mutual love, whether it's it's within different yoga communities, different countries, the East and the West is is yeah, the world could always do with with more love. That can never be a bad thing, right?
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. Is that like that mission? I mean, this is such a heart mission for you, I feel like even when you speak about it, I feel like it's just so much a part of of who you are and what you're you're bringing to the world. Is that what inspired you to create your um, online magazine Tana? Is that how I say it? Sanat Sanatana. Am I saying it right? Yeah. yeah, Yes. Okay. Good. Sanatana. 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 Thank you. I was like, there's a long A in there somewhere, and I'm not finding (laughs) that.
1: She said yes. you pronounced it correctly, yeah. and then she pronounced it completely differently. <laughs>
0: yes, yeah, Sanatana. Sanatana. Thank you. See, that's where those long a syllables matter. Exactly. <laughs> I'm like that doesn't sound right to me. <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, Sanatana yoga was was how we met, actually. And and can you just tell us a little bit about that? I mean, it was like
2: a, a birthing of creativity from from you. So yeah, the magazine was something I've been wanting to do for a long time. I just, it was very unfortunate that I when it did happen, it happened two months before COVID. So, but it happened and I'm happy it happened because I really thought India should have its own voice in 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 you know yoga journalism space. We didn't have any before that. And as a journalist and as a writer, my I've I've never sort of practice yoga with the aim to teach. That was never my ambition. It was never my inclination, but I did want to write about it. I wanted to create content around yoga and and I love magazines. I mean, my my career was that before I moved to Mysore, I was in journalism. I was the managing editor of Elle. So when I moved to Mysore, I finally had the space and the time to create something that was my own. And obviously the first thing I wanted to do then was a yoga magazine. And that's how Sanatana Yoga came about. I found a a very small team and it was an independent magazine. It was completely funded by me and my business partner at the time. And yeah, we launched the magazine and it received tremendous love and respect and support from the global yoga community. So a big thank you to anyone who might be listening to this and helped with the magazine. And also, you, Hamni, you gave us a lot of articles. Thanks for that. But yeah, Sanatana Yoga was was something that was very special and close to my heart and subscription for Sanatana Yoga was free because again it it was part of my intention to you know if you want to create positive change you do something about it and I observed a few things in the Indian and global yoga community that I was not entirely happy with I mean I'm nobody to be happy or unhappy with something. But, you know, instead of complaining, I'd rather create action and change. So this magazine was one way of doing that. A, I wanted to have international and Indian yoga teachers come together on a platform equally with equal space. I wanted to give a lot of young Indian yoga teachers a platform for exposure to, you know, sort of showcase their yoga talent and just have an authentic voice because um, this might sound a little... uh, Okay, I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings or offend people when I say this, but I really think that there's space for more intelligent journalism when it comes to yoga.
0: And I really
2: wish the magazines and the blogs, et cetera, that exist out there would sort of take a look at, at, at the kind of content they're producing and what they're inspiring in young practitioners, because you have a responsibility. And I think that's being neglected a little bit because it's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's very shallow. There's no substance and there's a lot of dilution of truth and fact.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, this is, that's a fantastic point. I, I was, uh, I was in a yoga class for kids in a, in America in San Diego, and um, this is a true story. A Fox News television crew um, without warning uh, burst into our classroom like the the teacher didn't the the principal no one told us that they were going to arrive, and they burst into our classroom and asked for an interview that none of us were prepared for, and they sat down with um with my uh, my employee, and they said to her, "Tell us now uh, how yoga has its roots in Hinduism." And we were completely, uh, completely. Uh, what's the word when you're
0: flabbergasted? Flabbergasted.
1: Attacked out of nowhere. <laughs> uh, sh- what what is that word when you're attacked out of nowhere? Uh, uh, Shanghai. Shanghai. <laughs> no. That's a so racist um, term. You um, were uh, pounced on. Uh, yeah we were pounced on. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we had we we didn't we were not prepared for the question at all, but i I think I think you could comment on a number of of those situations, like how uh, maybe many Americans feel that yoga is religious, they feel uh, there's this uh, you know, the very poor journalism that they would pounce on us in the first place, this idea that which is the exact opposite that yoga is rooted in Hinduism, whereas actually, religion arises out of the mystic experience i can you talk about it about and also the,
0: that they're asking you a bunch of white americans to uh talk about <laughs> the indian roots we were That's we were kind of also backwards
1: we were sitting ducks yeah. which is not not like kharindavasana <laughs> but like <you> know. <laughs>
2: what do you think um, yeah okay first of all I'm sorry you had to go through that because (laughs) I mean it's very unfortunate when people who practice yoga are constantly being asked to justify the roots and the practice and the actions so I really hope people stop doing that because you know we're human we're just like everybody else and some of us are practicing yoga because I mean it, it I know a lot of people who have gone through a lot of Problems in life and are very damaged. So just, just give us a break sometimes, you know. Not every yogi is <laughs> an enlightened Buddha. It's 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 okay, we make mistakes too. But um, as far as religion versus spirituality is concerned, it's very interesting and it's also very tricky because, yes, yoga is a spiritual practice, yes, it is for the benefit of all humanity, but Um, Again, I'm speaking here from a completely Indian perspective because I live in India and I am Indian and I'm a a Christian Muslim, so I'm not even part of the Hindu community, but we can't completely disrespect, again, I'm not going to say Hinduism, I'm going to use the word Sanatana Dharma here is that Dharma is a philosophy, it's a way of life. And yes, everyone can follow Sanatana Dharma. Anybody can follow Vedanta. You don't have to be of a certain faith to do that. You don't have to convert from your faith to do that. It's also part of the beauty of Sanatana Dharma. But we must understand that there is a culture and a certain group of people who practice all of these practices as a religion. It is their religion. So when someone from the outside comes in and be like, okay, I'm practicing yoga, I'm practicing chanting, I'm doing all of the things that you do, but I'm not a Hindu and this is not Hindu. It's not fair to those people and to that culture. It can be disrespectful. And those questions shouldn't even matter in the first place because again, when you've practiced dharma and meditation, you realize that you know the origin of religion, God, spirituality doesn't matter. You transcend all that. But while we're still asking all these questions, Yes, yoga is universal, it's global, it's for all beings, but yes, it is also to certain groups, to Hindus or religion, and and you can't separate the two. Now, for example, I have certain teachers, I mean, teachers that I know are not Hindu, they're from different faiths and they teach yoga, but then they're very selective. You'll teach asanas in a class, but you won't teach chanting because you think chanting is Hindu. But at the same time, you're saying yoga is not Hindu. So there's too much duality there and confusion. So I don't know how to address this because it I don't even know if it's a problem, but it's like you said, it's a question that exists. You know, where does religion and and spirituality begin? Vedanta explains this beautifully. But then you'll have to study Vedanta to understand the philosophy. And that's also why I think philosophy is so important. It gives meaning and reason. You understand then why a puja is done or why chanting is done, because without that scientific knowledge, it's very easy for ritual to turn into superstition but it's it's a subjective science and and that science part of it should always be maintained and that comes from philosophy scriptures which again is it hinduism is it sanatana dharma it doesn't matter but if it does matter and if we're dealing with facts then yes it does come from the hindu culture and you can't deny that Mm -hmm. so so that's my take on that i don't know if it's right or wrong (laughs) <laughs>
0: I love that. I was, you know, it reminds me actually of, I mean, first of all, the emphasis of, of you know, Sanatana Dharma being a philosophy and it being a way of life um, or, you know, a way of exploring life and, and being present in life. And then also yoga is part of a, a philosophy, a way of seeing, right, a darshana um, in India. And it's not considered, I mean, I think that's kind of where we, we get mixed up as westerners sometimes because for us religion's very um you know monotheistic and it's like there's rights there's wrongs there's do's there's don'ts there's heaven there's hell there's um you're in you're out (laughs) and it's very dualistic and i feel like in india because of this um idea of of darshana of a way of seeing it's much more inclusive because it's multi perspectives then you can you can say you know I'm entering into this way of seeing and being in the world and this person is seeing and being in this way and we can both see and be together even though it's not um identical so I just I just love that you brought that up and the other thing that I wanted to say that you also brought to mind was um when I was in Calcutta uh at Mother Teresa's ashram or um I don't know her center there I'm not sure if it's an ashram but it's a like a healing center Mm -hmm. um and I went to and of course it's it's you know uh, the catholic faith it's I guess it's a church maybe (laughs) a church they had like a, a traditional catholic I went to their um Um, mass and it was so interesting for me coming from a Western perspective um, and knowing what church services are like here and then being at a church service in India in this, you know, hall that was, was, wasn't like a church type um, feeling at all. And we were sitting like on the floor, just like you would in any Indian kind of like puja or ceremony, and people were also um, like worshiping in, this, in a similar way as you would, um, you know, for a puja or like going to different um, part, you know, to the um, icons or different things and like basically kind of doing a puja, what looks like, you know, people do in India, very traditional culturally um, aligned actions for being India or Indian. And, and, it, and I was like, Thinking to myself, it's so interesting to me how, um, you know, we get very fixed on an idea of the way something looks, and saying, like, well, this is Christian, and this is what all the this is what Christianity looks like. And here I was in India um, in a Christian setting, in a Christian ceremony, um, and it looked very different. And it felt very different, also. It felt <laughs> had a completely different flavor to it. And and so it was such a beautiful experience because it was, it just reminded me like that that I think we we sometimes, like you're saying, get very dualistic and saying, like, this is yoga, this isn't yoga, or this is Christianity, this isn't Christianity. And if you're a yogi, you always have to do this, or if you're a Christian, you always have to do this. And and here. And we forget that, like, depending on where you are in the world, what other cultural factors um, you have in your background around you, um, they're going to change how you experience these things. And also what comes naturally to you as far as like worshiping or connecting or devotion or spirituality. And so it just was like, I think you just said everything so beautifully. And it reminded me of those things that there's just so many diverse approaches to one single thing that has like one name and and that name doesn't always show up in the same way in different areas of the world.
2: Yeah, I agree with you. And that's part of the beauty of Sanatana Dharma. We have like a few like gods and goddesses in India. And it's, it's very beautiful because it's really not about who you have faith in, the point is to have faith. And that's something so many people miss with all of the gods. And like, you get so caught up in the god and god as part of it you kind of miss the bigger picture like even with uh another thing that really drew me to to sanatana dharma was the and, and growing up especially with abrahamic religions is is you know we have the concept of heaven and hell which i found quite frightful growing up to be quite honest <laughs> but uh the thing i love about this the, at least yoga and spirituality and meditation and the buddha's teachings or the bhagavad gita is that there's only karma there is cause and effect which Mm -hmm. is so liberating because then you really are the master of your own destiny especially if you believe in cyclical time which which most of ancient india's religions are based on you know they're Mm -hmm. cyclical this concept of rebirth karma all of that but And it's transformative, like you could be the worst human being in the world, but these, at least as far as you know, the Buddha's teachings are concerned is there's always hope for improvement. And that's such a positive, liberated approach, and and so forgiving of our humanity and its base instincts. Mm. So I love Mm. that. That's one of the things that drew me the most towards yoga practice is that we could be the worst version of ourselves, but you can start now and still make an improvement. And we're so lucky to have that. Yeah, yeah, that's that's
0: fundamental. That's, um, I think that does change how you are in the world as a human being. If you look at the world and you see that, that even like the worst of humanity, there's still hope and there's still the possibility to um, to grow, to become better, right? Mm-hmm.
1: When I look at Montana, I see what I see Montana's is I see is <laughs> uh, suffering, you know, and trauma, and uh, they they you know you should have compassion. Then. You have compassion for their their interest in growth and self improvement. And So <laughs> I also I feel that. I wonder if um if you could talk more about your personal history. I it's so fascinating. You were a managing editor at L which is amazing. And I, I, I'd love to hear more about that experience. You were there for 15 years in in Mumbai, Bombay, and then you decided <laughs> to move to Mysore, of all places, with um, uh, uh, your partner, I think, uh, boyfriend? Yes. Yeah. I'm not sure but it. Um,
2: uh, boyfriend. Uh, we're not married. We live together. So I say partner in India. I'm not sure what the correct. Word for that is because I mean after living together for eleven years it feels a bit odd to say boyfriend. (laughs) Well, I think I I think words—he's not my husband.
1: I think words and names and categories uh, fail us. Uh,
2: So that's
1: (laughs) it's a constant. Um, Well, so so you were you were both a little bit tired of the city and you wanted to get out. Can you can you tell us about? You suggested in the in the question that Harmony sent you what broke you. Like this is this is what you said and so then you you moved and I wonder if you could just tell us more about this
2: yes yeah, so we were working very hard in Bombay it's a very expensive city and when you're independent and neither of us were, were living with our parents like a lot of Indian kids do so to be independent on your own in Bombay it's a tough life it's an amazing city it's my it's one of my favorite cities in the world it's definitely my favorite city in India. But it was exhausting. And the thing is, we were ambitious people, but our ambitions were not to be earning tons of money and, and living in a high rise. And, and you know we had a very different idea of what the two of us wanted from our life. And luckily we met in yoga class. So we were both yoga practitioners and uh, L was wonderful it was I mean it had it, it, it's fashion as it's as wonderful as fashion can be but, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, but no no I'm, I'm being unfair it was it was wonderful yeah. I've had some very powerful women working at L, so that was really nice and when I joined I was expecting all the fashion cliches but I was surprised to find that there were some very very strong independent women I, I met in a fashion magazine and and that's something that surprised. me me and it's something I loved also loved loved all the discounts I got as managing editor yeah. of let's say I miss those now but um but yeah it was exhausting and it's not what we wanted and we were just not in a happy place you know it was it was the money game and the thing is in a city and when you're part of the rat race I believe whether you're coming first or last you're still just a rat so <laughs> we didn't want it's that true you know and then Ganesha is standing on your head (laughs) (laughs) so so we moved we just took a chance on life and uh, we decided not to have any children so that that also frees up your um, life in terms of you don't have to be as responsible as you know if you were responsible for a child and school and whatnot so we were free to move and mm-hmm. just then I was accepted to study with Saraswati Ji. So we just put all our stuff in a car one night and drove out of Bombay. And and, and here we are in Mysore six years later, we plan to stay oh. for just three months, but it's become six years. And I think it was the correct decision because we're happy. So life is simpler. We may, we may not be making as much money as we would if we were in Bombay, but but we're good. You know, life is good and mm-hmm. and yeah. And Mysore's not and and India's changing it's not like you're only um, you know there was a, one point in India where if you wanted to be at a certain point in your life whether it was financial status or work or being successful you had to move to the cities but now mm-hmm. I think India's changing like there's opportunity even in a place like Mysore and I know now a lot of young people are actually moving to Mysore. We did it five years ago but there's potential here and there's growth. So it's a very exciting time for India because there's a lot of young people. So the country's growing and it's doing well. So I'm excited Mm -hmm. to be in India at this time. There's a lot of change happening.
1: You've just said a a number of of statements and facts about your life that that couldn't have sounded more radical to me. Like if you had told (laughs) me that you had covered yourself in tattoos, it wouldn't have surprised me more. (laughs) That you decided, not to have children, not to marry, and to move to Mysore in the middle of the night and pack your car—it's <laughs> really like I can't imagine how how strange that must be for your family. Those those sets of decisions—that like that's oh really fight.
2: family, different. society, neighbors, everyone. <laughs> it, it was mm-hmm. a fight, but. But you know, you have to do what you have to do. You have to create the change that you want to see. And and I get asked, however, I have to say these questions will never get asked you in Bombay. It was a lot harder for me as a woman in Mysore Mm -hmm. because it's a small town. It's a conservative society. You guys have been to Mysore. You know how it is. Mm -hmm. So living independently in Bombay, working, earning my own money was a very different experience as living in in other parts of India but again it's changing it's slow but it's getting there Mm -hmm. so and, and I also think that's very exciting for Indian women because parts of our country are very patriarchal and that's changing now because girls are working they're earning their own money and I think when women become financially empowered then that's gives them also the empowerment to make decisions like be, not being in forced relationships or unhappy relationships. And and yeah, I'm not sure if this is the conversation we wanted to have, because now we're moving to feminism, but, and I don't mm-hmm. mean toxic feminism. I, I don't no, mean, entitled rats. I mean, these yeah. women actually have a lot to fight for. So, yeah. so not like Instagram feminism, <laughs> if you know what I mean. You know, I'm talking about women who still don't have rights.
1: Mm-hmm. And that's
2: changing. And, and I think that's happening because my oh, generation, you mean and the generation
1: Americans. like American women don't have rights. I like that.
2: <laughs> yeah, Americans go
0: America's going backwards in time. So. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I think that's so important that you bring that up, Sophia, because it's one of the reasons why I love to support yoga gives back, because that's their whole mission is you know, providing microloans to women in in rural communities to start businesses and supporting them in developing their business. And then these women, you know, it's, it's just a, a fact that when women start making money, they employ other women <laughs> and mm-hmm. bring up the whole community. Um, and, and it's, and it changes, not just like one person's life. It changes a family life. Women always invest in their children's education and their children's welfare and, um, and so it changes like the entire power dynamic in India, which as you say is still often, especially in more rural areas, very um, old-timey, <laughs> very patriarchal, <laughs> right? Where, where there's still a tradition of, of marrying off young women to men that they don't even know, right? And those women don't have rights to say yes yeah. or no, even in, in yeah. many cases. So
2: Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's true, that still exists, and but it's changing, change is coming. It's slow, but it's happening. Yeah. Like, for example, uh, uh, some of my staff, you know, back in the day, if a family could afford to only educate one child, it would always be the boy regardless mm-hmm. of his intelligence and even if the girl was smarter which in most cases is the case but um <laughs> so, that's true but now that, well. that, that, that's changing now like people are educating their daughters too they're understanding the importance of education and and i think mm. that's going to change the status of women tremendously because education can also be very empowering so so it's an exciting time to be a woman in india and and as someone who comes from a place where every Thing was just hand I mean I never had to fight to vote and get an education and work it mm-hmm. it's it, I'm blessed to have an opportunity where I think I can you know create change or help i mean I, I don't want to flatter myself but but yeah as as I, I think people when when you've reached a certain point in life and you're able to create change for someone who's not quite there yet, that's a great opportunity, even spiritually it's good karma if nothing else
0: yeah. Yeah, totally. It's And it's important. It's important that we continue to like support each other and empower each other to to keep learning and growing and, and in our different projects and, and, you know, creations, I think supporting um, women, supporting women is like essential. <laughs>
2: yeah, it's true. It's true. It's very important. And there's so much we can do for each other.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think you know, it's something I thought about a lot, but I often, you know, we're socialized as women without, you know, when there's not as many opportunities and even in, in um, countries where it seems like women, you know, have equal status or rights as male counterparts, it's often not the case, um, as we're also seeing in America these days, (laughs) but it's, uh, it's, you know, it's, we still have a ways to go. We still have a ways to go in countries that where women you know, are seen as equal. We, we still don't get paid the same wage. We still don't have the same um, likelihood of, of um, you know, taking positions of leadership in, in companies and in corporations. Uh, men are still looked to as the authority figure, as the one who has the answers in most situations outside of um, childbirth and um, menstruation.
1: We even see that in Hell's <laughs> Kitchen, where always they choose the men to be captains of the of the squads.
0: <laughs> so, so yeah, we we have so we have a ways to go still. Even though, as you say, things are changing, and it is it is important um, to to day of the course right
2: absolutely but but change is coming and that's always good just we, we need to just be aware and and look forward to positive change mm-hmm.
1: well madam i know it's it's very late for you there in um uh in india it's 10 30 but we want to hear about late
0: <laughs> we want to hear what you're doing now <laughs> with india now i'm
2: talking to you yeah
1: if you can just <laughs> We just have this one last question. We'd love to hear what you're doing now and, and what, you're, what you're working on.
2: Um, right now, I'm working with Indica Yoga. Indica Yoga is a nonprofit uh, organization. It's part of the Indic Academy. So Indic Academy was founded by a man called Hari Kiran Vadlamani. He's an ardent uh, d- uh, devotee of Vedanta philosophy. And the point of Indica Yoga is it's all the problems I had identified when I was working or rather when I founded Sanatana Yoga is a lot of the problems that Indica Yoga is addressing. So how to bring in, uh, you know, yoga back to its authentic roots, without uh, being uh, without being fanatics, but you know, objectively how to sort of bring back because there has been a lot of dilution of the practices, how to uh, make yoga or rather how to include all facets of yoga or all aspects of yoga in yoga. Like, for example, you know, we complain a lot about how it's become so physical and how there's so much asana practice and nothing else. Yes, it's a problem, but what can one do to change it? So one of the things Indica Yoga is doing to change it is is we're collaborating with a lot of teachers. We do a lot of interviews. We do courses. We do talks. And we're constantly talking to people, not just from one part of the yoga um, practice like asanas. You know, we have chanting teachers, Ayurveda teachers, textual researchers, translators, so what they're doing is they're bringing together the indian and global yoga community again to sort of unite and spread the true essence and message of yoga so it's a, it's 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 a, it's a relatively new company but they're doing great work and i'm very excited to be a part of that i'm the editor and curator there so i I'm the one who's collaborating with teachers. And I mean, Harmony's been a part of our global festival of yoga. So we've had two of those online. We're planning to do one on ground this year because of COVID. We, didn't, we couldn't do it before this. So yeah, that's that about Indica Yoga. And I'm very excited to be part of such a liberal organization again, because they're doing very authentic, original work. And that's very important to me. So I'm excited about that.
0: Oh, I love it. I, I think it's such a great you know a great organization and it's so needed and it's so important to have um you know voices from India and the Indian teachers out there teaching people who are interested in yoga yoga and ayurveda and meditation and and different you know aspects of yoga and and I'm I was a uh, very to be invited to be a part of your gathering. <laughs> um, how could
1: how could people um, Thank you. get involved with Indica? Yeah. Yoga or, or is there
0: or any like ongoing
2: classes part. that people could yes. attend? Um, you, you could check on our website. It's indicayoga.com. We're doing some very interesting courses, and this I think might be of uh, like uh, especially interesting to teachers. Is I notice a lot of people from the West love to chant, but are are often Mispronouncing the Sanskrit words and 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 that's fair. I mean, if I were to speak a foreign language, the same thing would happen to me. So right now we're doing a chanting for French, sports teachers, and it's been conducted by a lady called Shantala Sri Ramaya. So that's that's something that's very exciting, and I think a lot of teachers would be interested in doing. So that's something we're doing. There's always some courses going on on the Bhagavad Gita, on Sanskrit, and just various aspects, whether it's food, whether it's you know the Upanishad there's it's a great place to find knowledge IndicaYoga.com, and it has various articles called indica pictures indica books and it's all about a revival of indian culture so even if you're interested in indian culture it's a great place to find that you know our art forms classical indian art forms music dance and it's just it's a great platform good so
0: everyone can can learn to pronounce sanatana properly yeah <laughs>
2: among, other things, among other things i mean there's among among i struggle oh, with so, yeah. but, but you're a seasoned practitioner so maybe the classes are not for you harmony this is for like maybe slightly <laughs> experienced teachers no no mm-hmm. they're for me too trust me my
0: pronunciation is not correct in any language <laughs> 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 uh, it was such a pleasure to have you as our guest today Sophia thank you so much for just sharing all of your passion and wisdom and experiences with us I think
1: Sophia means wisdom doesn't it, it
0: does yes mm. <laughs> I feel like it was just so enlightening and wonderful to share the love of yoga with you today
2: Thank you so much for having me and, and it's interesting because I'm usually the one who's asking all the questions because of me being a journalist, I'm always the one <laughs> doing the interview. So it's nice to know what it's like to be on the other side. And thank you so much. I love talking to both of you and I love talking to you all the time, Harmony. I'm, I'm, I'm always <laughs> having conversations with you. So this is another conversation and as always, it's been wonderful. So thank you so much and lots of love and light to everyone who's tuned in. Thank you so much.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Finding Harmony with me, your host, Harmony Slater. You can find out more information on my website, harmonyslater.com and I look forward to connecting with you again soon.
1: Standing in eternity's shadow Watching the breaking way There's a high wind in the soil.